Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about world affairs and the people who shape it. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch, and in this show we discuss topical global issues and have in-depth conversations with personalities in foreign policy. Global Dispatches is presented in partnership with Humanity in Action, an international educational program, and I am a Humanity in Action senior fellow. We're nearly six months into the year, and already nine journalists have been killed in 2017, including four in Mexico alone. That figure comes from Reporters Without Borders and is part of a larger data set that my guest Sabine Carey is collecting on the murders of journalists around the world. Sabine is a political scientist at Mannheim University in Germany and co-author with Anita Goetz of a new study about the killings of journalists. Their research finds that the murder of journalists can predict the deterioration of human rights in a country within two years of the murder. Their study is titled Canaries in the Coal Mine, What the Killing of Journalists Tell Us About Future Repression, and can be found in the Academic Journal of Peace Research. And in this conversation, Sabine walks me through her research and the broader political and policy implications of her findings. If you're curious about what the killing of a journalist portends for the future human rights in a country, then have a listen. It's interesting and frankly groundbreaking research in the human rights realm. A couple of quick notes before we begin. As I mentioned in previous episodes, I have this list of Twitter followers that I rely on day in, day out to help me keep track of the news and make sense of it all. And I am happy to email you that list of of key Twitter users to follow. Just send me an email. You can use the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com or just click the contact me button in the description field of the podcast episode on iTunes, or wherever else you listen to this podcast. Speaking of which, please do leave a review on iTunes. It really does help other people who are similarly interested in foreign policy and world affairs discover the podcast. Thank you in advance for doing that. And I should note that the Twitter list I'm giving out is free for everyone. You don't have to be a premium member. I'm happy to provide you with that. Just send me an email. All right, and now here is Sabine Carey of Mannheim University. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So in general, I've always been interested in researching repression and more specifically why actors of the state violate uh, physical integrity rights of its citizens. So why government actors decide to kill or torture or make disappear um, citizens. And then I was interested how that is linked to different degrees or respect of civil liberties. So the ability of people to speak up and voice their opinion freely. Um, it's quite difficult to find reliable empirical data on that on a global scale that also shows small differences between countries. Um, 
so we were looking into the killings of journalists because there are three groups that collect excellent data, excellent information on the killings of journalists around the globe. Um, that is a committee to protect journalists, uh, International Press Institute and Reporters Without Borders. And the killings of journalists is a very specific you know, indicator um, that affects very much how freely people, in particular journalists, can voice their opinion and criticize uh, the government. So we were interested in finding out more about patterns of when and where and why journalists are killed and how that might be linked to the more general um, level of repression that the government imposes on the wider population. So the data was there, as you said, from those three organizations that track very closely the killing of journalists around the world. How do you determine the motivations of the killing of these journalists? And, and what did you find across the board in general? So all of these uh, three uh, organizations um, only record killings of journalists if the killing can be linked um, to them being a journalist. Um, and the motivation is captured differently by these. So, for example, the Committee to Protect Journalists also report uh, what they report on. So is it, for example, corruption, uh, politics, human rights, crime, that sort of thing? Um, and they write little stories of the context of which they were killed. Um, so the exact motivation is hard to find out. Um, whenever we can, we record the perpetrator. So, for example, whether the perpetrator can be uh, linked to the state, to the military or police, or whether the perpetrator can be linked to a political group that is not the government. For example, terrorist groups like the Islamic State would fall under the category, uh, or non-political groups like criminal groups. So we try to identify the perpetrator, um, but we can't really spe more um, specify more concretely what the exact motivation is. We can only sort of try to infer that from the perpetrator. Although for most um, reported killings, perpetrators remain unconfirmed. Mm -hmm. Like you just don't know who killed them or for what reason. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, well, sometimes there is context. So, for example, in, in many of these cases, we know that the reporter uh, was writing stories about corruption of local politicians, for example. Usually they receive threats uh, beforehand. Uh, but then there's a drive-by shooting, they get killed by masked gunmen, they disappear and nobody gets arrested. Mm -hmm. So you don't actually know who's really behind it. Um, but you do categorize like the motivations, like political not, uh, and, and who might be behind them. And, and what, what, were you, what are the categories that you use? So again, we, we don't categorize motivation. We only right. categorize who is behind it. And the categories we have broadly is unconfirmed. That is the biggest. Um, the second one is an actor linked to the state. Then political and non-state. So the opposition or terrorist groups, uh, groups with a political motive but not being the state. And then non-state groups, these are usually criminal groups, drug gangs, these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so you have that one set of, of journalists killed. Uh, and then you also have to overlay that with levels of human rights repression or That's right. or the trajectory of human rights, the, the, the conditions of human rights in various countries. How do you collect that? Like, where do you find data that speaks to the relative improving or... Um, or, or worsening of human rights situations in countries? 
So there is a, um, a long-standing standing data set that's called the Political Terror Scale. They read reports from the U.S. State Department, country reports, and country reports from Amnesty International, and code them depending on how much or, or what extent of particular types of human rights violations they find. And these are extrajudicial killings, um, torture, disappearances, and imprisonment for political reasons. So they classify for each country for each year on a scale from one to five how extensive these violations are perpetrated um, against the wider population. So this is a pretty well-established um, data set that is used in the literature and research on human rights. Um, and we use that to assess the level of repression and how that changes, or whether we can predict changes of this type of repression with the killings of journalists. So, so talk me through that. What happens when you ran the numbers, when, when you looked at the data set that you created, the new data set, and overlaid it with that existing data set that's used widely across academic literature that, le that measures levels of, of human rights repression in various countries? What, what did you find? So well, first of all, we find that it is actually possible to sort of predict changes in, in repression with killings of journalists. And then in, it, in itself is already um, actually a bit surprising, perhaps, because you need to consider that the, the repression measure that we have is pretty broad, right? So it just captures five categories. So for a country to switch from one category to another, you know, something quite substantial has to happen. Yet on the other side, the killing of journalists are very... Uh, specific incidents. And for most countries, thankfully, most of the time, that number is not very large. I mean, there are, of course, outliers, uh, particularly during war, like Syria or Iraq, but overall, it's not that large. But still, we find that if a journalist is killed in one year, um, the risk that the repression to the wider population deteriorates increases for the next two years. That's where you obviously get the title Canaries in the Coal Mine. You're saying that like the killing of a journalist can predict the future deterioration of a country's human rights situation. Exactly, exactly. And that prediction is particularly good uh, for countries that are sort of uh, in the middle of the repressive scale. So these are countries that are, they don't have perfect human rights records, like most Western European countries, for example, uh, but that are also not at the very worst end, like um, countries under civil war um, and armed conflict like Syria, um, Iraq, Sudan, and these kinds of countries, but more for those sort of in the middle. And that is particularly interesting because you know, if a country is doing really well, it's not that hard to predict that it's probably also going to, going to do well in the future. And same for the countries at the very bad end. Um, but in the middle ones, it seems like if you have a journalist being killed, it signals sometimes the willingness of a government to use extreme measures to influence the public debate, perhaps to hide um, things they've done in the past they don't want to become public, or because they want they anticipate that they want to hide behavior in the future. Well, just because they want to make sure that they can sort of dominate the public debate, for example, just justify um, increases use of repression to preserve stability in the country, for example. 
So that seems intuitive to me, right? That that the the a government would sanction the killing of a journalist in order to preserve its own play, kind of political narrative, advance itself. But but so many of the murders that you have identified were committed by criminal gangs that don't necessarily have a political motive. They have a, a criminal motive, drug traffickers. What do their killings suggest uh, about how human rights may may augur one way or the other? Well, the killings of journalists by criminal criminal groups is actually a comparatively very small number. Um, So they don't uh, account for much of the bulk of the killings that we were able to code. And they also don't seem to contribute that much to forecasting the human rights level. It's it's more likely that you then also find killings by um, political non-state groups like terrorist groups, for example, or rebel groups or political opposition. And that also makes sense because if these non-state groups that have a political motivation use more extreme measures, then it is not uncommon that then the government uses a tougher hand towards the wider population to fight um, political opposition groups or to fight terrorist groups. Oh, okay, so they the the non-state political act of the terrorist group will kill a journalist, and the government will respond with overwhelming force. That itself, in the response, might contribute to a deterioration of the human rights situation. Exactly. So, in the in the one into two years afterwards, the government or governments are often responding by just being more likely to put people in prison for political reasons or use torture to attempt to fight any potential or actual terrorist threat, for example. So can you give me an example of, of the, how that dynamic played out in one of the countries or murders that you studied? Um, well, so possibly a strange um, example is um, from Madagascar. There, there's been a very stable country for many years. Um, they had elections uh, quite a democratic country. They had a pretty good um, human rights conditions. So it then was quite unusual when a, a journalist was killed. I think it was in 2009. Uh, the journalist was covering an anti-government demonstration. And then following that, um, it, it became more, there was more unrest. Uh, at some point, then the mayor of Madagascar uh, proclaimed of the capital uh, proclaimed himself president. And then in the following year, Amnesty reported that the government used excessive violence by the security forces. There was more arbitrary imprisonment. And we saw overall that the general human rights situation deteriorated following the killing of one journalist when previously uh, the human rights conditions were very good. Now, so, mm-hmm. yeah. So, it's not necessarily that the deterioration of the wider human rights are a direct response to the killing of a specific journalist, but rather the killing of a journalist indicates increasing instability, a potentially increasing willingness of the government to use extreme measures that then reflects itself in a year or two years later with more widespread repression or increased repression. So can we talk about Mexico? 
uh, and how what is going on there fits into your 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 model. I mean, we're speaking uh, a day after news of yet another Mexican journalist who is covering the drug trafficking, the drugs trade was was killed. I think this is like the sixth Mexican journalist killed in 2017 so far this year. How um, does the situation? There sort of reflect or 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 contribute to the data set that you've created and and sort of what can you glean about the situation in mexico based on on your research yeah. so Mexico is quite interesting because it it is at the hit list top the list of killings of journalists together with the Philippines if you look at countries um outside of major wars so if you exclude countries with ongoing you know major wars then mexico and philippines are at the top because it probably should say it probably goes without saying that like syria is the number one deadliest place for journalists because exactly yeah that's right and if you have sort of look at it over a longer time period from 2002 it's syria and iraq because of the wars there but outside of these major wars, uh, then it's Mexico and Philippines. And it's interesting because both of these countries um, have had for quite some time, <laughs> maybe changing in the Philippines, but overall um, democratic institutions, uh, pretty stable. So it's not, these are not the sort of countries where one would expect, um, you know, chaos necessarily or a lot of violence from the state. Yet we find a lot of killings of journalists. In Mexico, many of them seem to be linked to crime, but there are many studies that sort of question at least that all the killings can purely be attributed uh, to crime only. If you read some of the stories of the going back in time in Mexico, the typical sort of killing seems to be, again, a, a local journalist um, far away from the capital city, that's where they normally take place, and where they report on corruption. And so, and often um, researchers that specialize on Mexico, Latin America, they also question what actually is the link between killings attributed to criminal groups and local government. So it's quite hard to disentangle. And one could or there are some assumptions or some arguments that possibly killings where perpetrators cannot be confirmed, that maybe there are some local politicians behind that. Because if you think about the motivation to uncover who is behind killings of journalists, if criminal groups are behind, the motivation of the government, if they have nothing to do with it, is probably quite high because part of their legitimacy depends on providing security and stability for their people. If it was the political opposition, again, the government would be highly motivated to uncover that. So there is an argument to be made that often these killings are driven by local politicians because they are uh, out of the sort of accountability structures that would rule the national government. But at the same time, given that they do have elections, they um, need to pay attention to their public image. So they have an incentive to control the public debate and what is reported about them. So because these local politicians are corrupted by the drugs trade, they will either look the other way or uh, perhaps themselves like benefit in some way from the murder of a journalist. Yeah, so our research cannot give a definitive answer to that one. 
but reading the stories and reading um, people who study Mexico and Latin America more specifically, they point towards that direction, yes. Well, has the quality of human rights conditions in Mexico deteriorated in any meaningful way, uh, you know, over these last few years when the number of, uh, you know, killings have increased? The, well, Mexico, the human rights conditions overall have already been quite poor, so they have not deteriorated further. And that's sort of in line with what we find in our studies. So studies our study suggests that in countries where repression is already quite bad, having a few or one or some more journalists killed doesn't make much of a difference. However, what we do find is that in countries where journalists are killed and the human rights conditions are bad, we can be pretty sure that they're not going to improve even if other structural factors that are normally associated with improving human rights conditions, that countries will not improve if they kill journalists. So, for example, you know, sometimes uh, countries would um, improve economic development or they would improve restrictions on the executive, which would sort of beef up their democracy, um, level of democracy. If these things are going on, normally research on human rights violations would suggest that their level of repression um, declines. But from our study, we've shown that if journalists are killed, then they will not improve. And this is basically what we're seeing in Mexico. So that's, so that's what you're seeing in Mexico. What about a situation like Rwanda or, or Burundi, um, countries where journalists, I believe, have been killed, but it's just particularly very like restrictive media environments and um, where there is just this, this kind of a, a human rights conditions seem to be deteriorating, even in, in Rwanda's case, as economic conditions improve. Um, how do the killings of journalists fit in, say, in a situation like that? Well, so first of all, if the media is not free, usually you don't need to kill journalists. Um, That's a good point. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you have a very restricted media, journalists very often self-censor. So we find that there are actually very few countries um, where the media is not free. Uh, so, for example, non yeah, countries that are not so democratic often don't have that free media. And journalists, you don't need to kill them. You can just scare them, basically. You might not even have much free, you know, free journalists that, that would dare to speak out against the regime, for example. Um, but in sort of when the media is not free, it's, it's then sort of a combination of being not fully democratic. And the problem is if, for example, um, the balance of power or the accountability mechanisms that we associate with democracies don't fully function, then we see journalists most at risk. So, for example, our study has shown that if the judiciary is corrupt, then the risk of journalists being killed increases as politicians rely more and more on popular participation. So popular participation being one element of being democratic, having elections, but that means that leaders care quite a bit about what the public thinks of them. And in fully democratic regimes, you have at the same time also uh, independent police, independent judiciary that control the government's behavior. But if for example, the judiciary is not independent, 
then and you have elections, then local politicians have high motivation to influence the public debate, for example, by getting rid of an unpleasant journalist, while at the same time not worrying about uh, having to pay for that, being held accountable by the judiciary. So the combination of not all elements of democratic institutions being fully in place uh, creates a risk for journalists. So I, I would say one thing I, I really appreciated about your research is that it has like a very clear policy implication, uh, which to me at least seems that we ought to take killings of, of journalists very seriously. You know, we, we already do. You know, I, I daily receive updates from UNESCO, which, which uh, follows the killing of journalists around the world. But uh, it seems that we'd something that, that should be considered something apart from like an ordinary kind of, of killing and human rights violation, just because it can predict a future deterioration and a future slide of human rights conditions sort of countrywide. Yeah, exactly. So that, that is, of course, very important. But also, I mean, journalists play a crucial role um, in regimes that adhere to be or become more democratic. They ensure that an open discussion can take place. They can function as a watchdog uh, to check what politicians are doing on all levels. Even if um, other local political institutions like regional parliaments or um, other groups are unable to do so. So to really ensure the accountability of politicians and the open process and the exchange of information, which is crucial also for citizens to participate in a form way in the political process. It's crucial that journalists can go about their job without having to worry about their safety. Uh, well, Sabine, thank you so much for your time. This was helpful and interesting, and thank you for your research. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Sabine. And just quick point, I am rolling out some new premium content and some other goodies for premium subscribers. So click the link in the description field of this podcast to support the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for supporting the show. You realize there's nothing like this podcast out there in the world. Take the step and, and become a patron of the show. I so appreciate it. In any case, we have some good episodes lined up, and we'll see you soon. Bye. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the policies or positions of Humanity in Action.